good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here in person. Glad to have you with us uh, online. If you're on Facebook, on YouTube, Twitter there, be sure to heart, to like, to share, to retweet. Uh, subscribe there on YouTube. Click the notification bell. Make sure it says all. That way you'll get the notifications every time we go live. Follow us, if you would, there on Facebook. All of that helps in those algorithms to get the word out more uh, that we're having services and encourage people to join uh, with us. And also want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. Uh, we have several people who do that each, uh, each service. And so so we're thankful to have you there. If you need that number, uh, see me after church. I'll be glad to give that to you. If you're at home and need that, uh, you can just call our church office and we'll be glad to share that number with you. Uh, if you would, while you're there, if you have access to the internet, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin. Uh, you can also download the children's worship bulletins that go along with the Sunday morning message. Uh, those are in the window to my right. You have also the bulletins at each door uh, as you leave. So be sure to get one of those with all the upcoming uh, activities. While you're there under the info tab, be sure to download the prayer list. Uh, and if you have prayer requests at home online there, be sure to comment on Facebook. That's the one place we will look uh, to see uh, during the live part of our service. We'll find it on any of those others. Uh, but during the live part of the service, that's where we'll be looking. Uh, so share any of those requests or updates there on Facebook, and we'll update those uh, during our prayer time uh, tonight. And then also just want to remind you while you're on the church website, you can do your online giving there. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Real simple, easy platform set up there. You can do your regular offering. You can do your Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. Those envelopes are around in person. You can find them in the holders at the, at the doors back there, as well as in the windows and on the tables. Uh, so be sure to be praying about giving towards the North American Missions uh, work, and also be praying for our North American missionaries. Uh, this is a weak guide, but we encourage you to use it uh, all the way through uh, this Sunday, especially in this month, uh, as we'll continue emphasizing the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. But glad to have everybody here tonight. For the mic, if you'll come and lead us in our song. Take your hymnals and turn to 175. Man of Sorrows, what a name. Miss Pat.
that song's going to go right along with our message tonight, uh, as we're going to look a little bit at that about the second coming of Christ. Uh, hopefully, if you're at home, you've gotten that prayer list downloaded, and we're going to take a moment to go uh, over that and to give any updates that you may have. So uh, just looking there to make sure if there's any online, be sure to share those. Um, the, there's uh, just a few. Um, I don't have, does anybody have, Pat stepped out, an update on Cindy Ingram? I haven't heard any more uh, on her, um, but also want to remember her, want to remember Miss Sandra Wells. Uh, Janet Carter is doing uh, better at home uh, from where we had her on, the request that we had her on before, uh, but do continue to remember her in your prayers. Continue to remember Ken Adcock and Donna Adcock. Uh, those are going to be some ongoing uh, long-term issues there as well as Sandra Wells is going to be having her procedure later this month for her kidney stone. So uh, keep her in prayer that none of that comes back with the pain that she was having uh, until that surgery and they can get things taken care of. And then uh, Leanne has also had her knee surgery and she's recovering still uh, from that. Uh, an update that I do need to give you is in the nursing home section there is that Miss Birdie Davis is going to be moving to Brookdale and that's going to be tomorrow and so we just praise the lord for that she's been at life care but going to be able to move there to brookdale and so be in prayer for her as she makes that transition in 302 in room 302 um, and then a few that are on the friends and family side uh, of the list that i can share with you uh, that i know of uh, dennis mcculloch who is samantha's my wife's uh, brother-in-law uh, he had had a stroke uh, he is still uh, about the same as he was uh, before, so do keep him in prayer, uh, having some uh, other issues going along with that from the stroke. Uh, he is able to talk and he is able to walk and stuff, uh, but some of the things that it affected with his mind are, are not just right there, and so keep him in your prayers. Uh, and then also continue to remember the Motlow BCM. Uh, they just last week, this past week, uh, started getting the contractor work beginning. Uh, so they got everything signed and everything done. So the contractors are coming in to do that work from the water damage that they had in the building from back in December uh, when we had those real hard freezes uh, that burst the pipes there and destroyed a lot of the, the, the facility there. Uh, we also want to remember um, uh, Linda Miller's daughter uh, with medical issues. Uh, if you would remember uh, Bobby Baker Jr. Uh, who has cancer. That's a request from Donna Jackson, Herb Taylor, uh, who has cancer, and that's a request from Mark Smith, and then Easton Haley from Brian Tate. Uh, Melissa Shuren um, has some medical issues, um, and, and I won't go into all those things, but just continue to remember her uh, in your prayer. She's one of our uh, CDC uh, preschool substitute uh, teachers. And then also we were asked to add Betty and David Lehman to our prayer list. Uh, in the passing of their son, this is Joanna Kohler's uh, cousin, uh, the, the young man who passed away, and he passed away suddenly, so keep them in your prayers. Betty and David are the mother and father. Did anybody have any updates of any tonight? I'm looking there on Facebook. If you have any on Facebook, feel free to share them anytime in the service. We'll try to come back at the very end uh, to make sure we don't have any updates there, but Anybody else here? Okay. I don't have any others. I don't see any others online there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for these, and then we'll get right into our Bible study for tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy tonight. Lord, 
Uh, you know each and every person that is on this list and their situation. Uh, Father, we, we pray for the Steve Maybe family and, and the funeral service that's going to be going on there. We pray that you'll just comfort and encourage the hearts of, of that family. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll be with uh, each one of these requests that we've mentioned tonight. Uh, Father, you are the great physician, and many of these are physical needs. So we ask, Lord, for you to divinely in, to intercede and to touch these individuals to bring that physical healing to their bodies. Lord, uh, we just pray that you'll be glorified and you'll be honored through that, and that we might use that as a witness and testimony uh, of your saving grace for each and every one of these individuals. That it'll be a powerful witness, uh, not only uh, that you can bring the physical healing, but ultimately that you can bring the spiritual healing uh, that we need for our hearts and for our lives of knowing Jesus as our Savior. So we ask, Lord, uh, tonight that as we come before you, Lord, uh, we don't want anything to hinder our prayers as we're uplifting these people in prayer. And so we come confessing our sin before you, knowing that your word says that if we're holding on to sin, uh, if we're holding on to iniquity in our hearts, that you, your word says you will not hear uh, from heaven. And so, Father, we just pray uh, that you would forgive us and cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Set us on the path of righteousness to follow you uh, and to be faithful in following you each and every day. So, Father, we ask your blessings upon these individuals. Lord, some may still have to go through some difficult days ahead. And, and so, Father, we pray that you will give them the strength. Uh, Father, that you'll give them a peace in their hearts that passes all understanding. Uh, Lord, show mercy and grace to them and shower them with your grace and mercy. Be with their caregivers, be with their family members and those who are helping to take care of them. Be with those who are in the hospitals and nursing homes. And we pray for those, those nurses and those uh, doctors and other medical personnel that will be helping uh, to take care of them. We just uplift them to you, Lord. And we ask for your blessings uh, upon them in a special way. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, your hand will be upon them. And Lord, that it will, it will be an encouragement to them as they sense and feel your power and your presence and your peace in their hearts and in their lives. So Father, be with our children tonight that are meeting here for Awana as they're learning scripture, as they're uh, learning more about you through the Bible study we had earlier. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, all the things that they're going to learn tonight, may those things be hidden in their hearts to lead them and guide them to make right decisions uh, that would honor you and glorify you. We pray for our youth that are meeting in another part of the building. We ask your blessings upon them as they're studying your word tonight, Lord, and I pray that uh, you'll make your word very plain and clear to them through Pastor Matt and, and the other leaders who are helping there. And Father, we just ask for your blessings upon all of our young people through our church and the next generation uh, that is being raised up through our church. So we ask, Lord, tonight for us as we come to study your word in the book of Amos uh, that you will speak very clearly, very plainly to us. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will help us to see the relevance of this Old Testament book uh, to our New Testament days. And Father, we just pray that uh, your word will be sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that it will go forth and not return void. And you will use it to renew us, to strengthen us in our hearts and in our minds. So bless us tonight, Lord, uh, as we hear your word and hear your truth. May you speak to our hearts that whatever changes might need to be made in our lives, that if we don't know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, may that be the first place that we start in trusting him and what he did for us and living that sinless, perfect life, uh, dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb and arising on the third day to give us eternal life. So Father, we pray that uh, those who need 
salvation will hear that message through the book of Amos. But for those of us, Lord, who have already trusted by faith in Christ, uh, may this message speak truth to our hearts also. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will use it in a powerful way to renew us, Lord, in the fervency we need to have living in the days that we are to make the most of every opportunity, the most of every day, to make Jesus known to the world around us, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Amos. Uh, if you find the book of Psalms and the book of Matthew, uh, which is there, the first book in the New Testament, about halfway through, you'll come to those minor prophets that we've been uh, looking at. We've told you before that as we're looking at the minor prophets, they're not minor in their content, they're minor in their size. That's why we refer to them as minor prophets. Their books are shorter uh, than all the other books uh, of the Old Testament prophets, such as Isaiah. Uh, and Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah and any of those that you're looking at. Well, Amos, uh, it, it is not one of the shortest uh, of the minor prophets. It is nine chapters long, uh, but there are many that are just one chapter, three chapters, uh, six chapters at the most. Uh, but this message that Amos has to share with us tonight is a powerful message. And so I just wanna encourage you, you need to buckle up, get ready for this tonight. Uh, this is going to be some strong stuff that you're going to hear uh, from Amos. In fact, let me just ask you, if you will, to turn back to Amos chapter 1 and verse 1 to begin with, uh, to, because it sets the stage for us and who Amos is and the times and the setting of the conditions he's in there. So the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And if you remember, Judah is the southern kingdom. This is a time of the divided kingdom. So Uzziah is the king in Judah at this time in the southern kingdom. And in the days of Jeroboam, who's Jeroboam actually the second, the son of Joash, king of Israel, Israel is the northern kingdom. So Israel's been divided in two after Solomon's reign. Uh, and now it's a northern and a southern kingdom. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Uh, and Uzziah's ruling in the south, Jeroboam the second uh, in the north. And this is two years, it says, before the earthquake. Now, we don't know what the earthquake was, but the readers of Amos's letter here and Amos's messages, they would fully understand what the earthquake was that happened uh, two years later. It'd be kind of like us saying, uh, you know, 9-11, most of us who are at our age know 9-11. There's a whole generation that's coming up that doesn't even know 9-11. Uh, that has no clue about any of that. And there would be eventually those who would have no clue what this uh, earthquake uh, was about. But those who Amos is writing to and proclaiming this message to at this time uh, would know full well what that is. We saw last week that Amos is kind of the country preacher uh, come to town. Uh, he was from the southern kingdom. Uh, he was a shepherd uh, watching his sheep out in the fields, kind of like David did uh, in the Old Testament. He was also a pincher of the sycamore trees. He would uh, pinch the figs on the sycamore trees to, to pinch where the bugs were, the, the parasites that were getting into it to, to press them out. Uh, and so that's kind of the work that he did, the agriculture work there. And, and while he's out there doing all this, the Lord reaches out, reaches down and, and, and calls him 
him as a prophet and sends him from the fields there as a, as a shepherd up to the northern kingdom, which he may have been up to the northern kingdom before because we talked about that last week. Uh, the kind of sheep that he took care of had expensive wool. So he would have probably ventured to some of those wealthier cities in the northern kingdom to go sell his wool uh, up there. And, and so he knew some of the setting and some of the things. And it, as he saw what was going on in the northern kingdom, it just made his blood boil uh, because of the, the, the turning against God that he saw there. Well, he's up here in the northern kingdom. He goes up to the, to the sophisticated, cosmopolitan, cultured area, if you will, of the north. Uh, and so here's this rustic country preacher this down-to-earth preacher, and, and he's preaching these messages. He talks about an earthquake, but his messages are going to shake up the people more than this earthquake is going to do. And so in these first two chapters we looked at last time, Amos' prophecy, uh, we, we have what I think may have been his introductory remarks there for the sermons that he's going to preach. So as the people gather together to hear uh, this country preacher, uh, this hick preacher, if you will, uh, he begins to preach and he begins to skillfully we weave uh, this web. Uh, he begins to talk about all their neighbors all around them, all these godless nations that are all around them and how bad and horrible they are. And the people of the northern kingdom, they're thinking, yes, yes, those people deserve what they get. They need to be punished. And he keeps drawing the noose tighter and tighter and tighter. He even mentions Judah, the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, they didn't like them anyway. And so they, they're like, yeah, let them have it too. And then finally, Amos comes and says, but you. And his biggest message is about them in the northern kingdom. And so he begins to draw it closer and closer, bringing them in. And before it's over, he has this message directly to the nation of Israel. We read in chapter 7, and we mentioned this last week, about the confrontation that he has with the, with the king's preacher. So he goes uh, to uh, this place uh, of Bethel where uh, the northern kingdom had set up a place to worship because if you remember, Jerusalem is where the temple is. That's where when they were a, a whole kingdom, they were to go there to worship at the temple. So the northern kingdom, they said, we're not going down there anymore. We're going to set up our own worship places. Bethel was one of those places. Gilgal is another one of those places. But it was at Bethel where the king worshiped. And he had his preacher who was there, who he liked to hear what he had to say. And it was that king's preacher who basically came to Amos and said, boy, you just need to get on back down to the south. We don't want to hear what you got to say. Uh, you, your message isn't appreciated here. And, and Amos says, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't even the son of a preacher. Uh, the Lord took me and called me and gave me this message. And I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do. And so it's into that atmosphere and into that setting that we read what Amos has to say. That's what verse 1 says. The word of Amos, which he saw. In chapters 3 through chapter 6, which is what we're looking at tonight, we're going to see the words uh, that he said. In chapter 7 and to the end of the book, we're going to see the visions that he saw. And so he said some things and he sees some things. So we're going to look at some of the things he said. Now, it's altogether possible that after Amos preached up there in the north, he goes back home and he writes all this down under the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, of what to say. So in chapters 3 through 6, we find the messages 
that he delivers. And it's easy to see where the messages are. Now, let me just point out to you how to find those messages. If you'll go to chapter 3 and verse 1, you'll read this phrase in chapter 3 and verse 1 at the beginning. It says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. You'll go to verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, and you'll see that phrase again. Hear this word. And then you'll go over to chapter 5 and verse 1, and you'll see that phrase again. Hear this word. We talked about this before when you're looking at the scriptures and you're interpreting the scriptures and you see a phrase that is repeated over again or a word that's repeated over again. It's important and you ought to take notice of it. And so every time he starts off a similar way saying the same thing again and again. So evidently there are three messages that Amos delivers to the people of God uh, that God led him to and directed him to. And so he begins each one of these messages in this rather startling and attention-getting manner. It's kind of like he's saying, are you listening? Are you really listening? Let me ask you again, are you really, really listening? Uh, so Amos is preaching that phrase, hear this Word And so the Bible says a great deal about hearing. Jesus uses this phrase over and over. He says, he that hears, let him have ears to hear. Uh, on another occasion, Jesus says, take heed what you hear. Uh, he says, uh, take heed what you hear. And he repeats that over. When you look at the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3 and chapter 3, Seven times in those two chapters, uh, at the end of those messages, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So God puts a premium on hearing. In fact, when you look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, So faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So we're, we're listening here. We're hearing the word of God. God is talking. It's through the lips of Amos. But it's God who's speaking through Amos. And he says, hear this word. Because he has a special message. Now I'm not going to deal with every verse of these chapters. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm going to try to hit the hot spots. And, and try to give the significant points that God has for us. In our contemporary culture. And a, as a church today. So the first message in chapter 3 is this. It's a message of explanation. It's a message of explanation. So in this chapter, Amos uh, explains basically why judgment is going to come upon these people. Uh, he's already said that in the previous, when he drew the noose tight, judgment is coming. Now he begins to explain why it's coming. So he gives us the basic principles of judgment and explains the guilt uh, of this nation. In so doing, he has these series of connections uh, that he makes for us. So let me read to you the first uh, two verses of this chapter and notice the connections that he makes here are between privilege and responsibility. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities or all your sins. So he's making this connection between the privilege they had and the responsibility they had. Understand this great privilege brings with it 
great responsibility. So Amos begins saying to them, talking to Israel, you are God's chosen people. In fact, he calls them the whole family. I, he says, God brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They were, they were his special people because God has delivered them uh, in, in the great Exodus experience. They become a nation as a result of that experience. And it was, uh, it was that which brought them to the formation as a nation. So they are God's chosen people. When you look at what God has said over in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6 and ver through verse 8, he says this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples uh, who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. So he was saying to Israel, he's saying, I loved you. You didn't deserve it, but I chose you. Not because of any worth on your part. That's the thing for us. Jesus didn't die on the cross for anything and didn't save us for anything we could do, uh, anything of our worth, uh, but sheer, because of sheer grace and sheer love. And that's what he's saying to the people of Israel here. So if you're a born-again child of God, the Bible teaches you have been chosen by the Lord. God chose you out. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So there couldn't be anything good in us because God, uh, to cause God to choose us. He picked us, he chose us before we were ever born, before we ever did anything that we could have maybe in our minds considered good to deserve uh, God's grace or mercy. In John 15 verse 16, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so what a privilege to be God's chosen. Uh, what a marvelous thing that in love, God has reached down and chosen us. There's a wonderful purpose for that. Israel was chosen by God to be his witness to the nations and to be a blessing to the nations. We, as God's children, uh, and knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, being saved, God wants us to be a witness to others and, and to show forth the praises of him uh, who's called us out of darkness into the light. So we have the privilege of being called God's chosen people. That's what verse 2 is saying. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. That word known there is it means uh, intimacy. God is saying, I have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he wants to have that intimate relationship with you. But if you know him as Lord and Savior, you belong to him. He paid for you with his precious blood on the cross. And so God is saying, I have a personal, intimate relationship with you. You're the only one that I've known of all the families of the earth and Israel was really proud of that we as Christians are proud of that but notice what happened unfortunately Israel began to presume upon their privileges and they began to assume that just because they were God's chosen people that God made available to them to bring all of the pleasures that they desired but they failed to understand the responsibilities that go along with that privilege 
Privilege involves great responsibility. That's why he says in the remaining part there of verse 2, because of you uh, not listening to me, you not uh, following me, and because you are known of me, I will punish you for all your iniquities. God is saying that because I've chosen you, I expected more of you. He's saying I have a higher standard for you. So God expects us as children of God to live according to a higher standard than the world. Sin is more serious when we, as God's people, do it. And so we sin uh, against his light and his truth. We sin against the privilege that he's given us. God has called us to that higher standard. And God says, I'm going to deal with you because of your sins. So you see that connection between privilege and responsibility. He also connects cause and effect. Notice verse 3. He says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet. So you're going to see he uses here in these verses a series of questions and illustrations. He's talking about the very fact that, that every effect has a cause. So continue on with verse 4. He says, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare bring, spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? So he's talking in these verses about cause and effect. So look at that first one. In the first one he's talking about there in, in verse uh, 3, do two walk together unless they agreed to meet. Uh, he's saying there that you don't just go up and strike a conversation with a, with a total stranger and go walking through the wilderness. In those days, that was something very dangerous uh, to do. And, and so there's a cause and effect. The fact that the two were walking together in those days meant that they had made an appointment. They had come to an agreement, a cause and effect. Uh, you think about it in this way. You see a, a boy and a girl who are walking. They're walking hand in hand, and all of a sudden uh, they stop, and, and she lets go of her hand, and she goes stomping off. Uh, they're no longer in agreement, are they? You know, something has happened, cause and effect. So he goes on to say, when a lion roars, what caused it to roar? It means there's a prey somewhere. A bird gets caught. It means there's a trap. A trumpet blows. Why? Because it means alarm is sounding, an enemy is coming, uh, danger is coming, judgment is coming. In fact, Amos looks at everything here from the viewpoint of the sovereignty of God. If there's a disaster, it means that God is doing something. God allowed it to happen for whatever reason that he allowed it to happen, and he's going to use it in some way, some shape, some form that we may never fully understand to bring glory and honor to his name. So whether it's good that happens in our lives or whether it's bad that happens in our lives, the Bible tells us he works all things to good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now that doesn't mean, though, that every, uh, every calamity, every uh, disaster that happens is a direct message from God. But it does mean that for a child of God, nothing is happenstance for us. 
It is providential. It is God in charge. And Amos uses that to say the very fact that I as a prophet am here on the scene means that God has a message that judgment is coming. In other words, a trumpet doesn't just sound for anything. A lion doesn't just roar for anything. A bird doesn't get caught just for anything. Notice verse 7. Those who trample, or sorry, verse 7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servant, the prophets. He's saying God has spoken to me and God has told me uh, that he's, what he's getting ready to do. Verse 8. He says, the lion has already roared, who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy. So it, he's making the point here that because the prophet is on the scene, it's every indication trouble is coming, danger is ahead, judgment is coming. He's saying the very fact that God has called him to be a prophet means that he's trying to get a message across uh, to them. He's trying to warn them. God is sending a warning to them. And, and so the, prophet, uh, the prophets had been referred to as kind of God's storm birds, if you will, uh, the birds that appear before the storm uh, on the horizon. And so God always has a message of warning for us and wants us to be prepared. And so chapter 3 is this message of explanation. He's explaining what's taking place here. The connection between privilege and responsibility. The connection between cause and effect. And then a connection between sin and judgment. Notice verse 9 down through verse 10. He says, Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. So he's talking about the time when, when people have, have so dulled their consciences that they no longer know the difference between what is right and what is good. Now that's kind of characteristic of our own day. Not many people in our culture know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. In fact, uh, there's a lot that we think in our, uh, there's not a lot in our culture that we think as, uh, that is, is wrong. We think we're, we're fine, we're dandy, there's nothing wrong with us. Uh, people have lost their ability to kind of discern between right and wrong. And they get to the point where they can't tell what is right and what is wrong, and they, and they just can't help but do what is wrong. And so he talks about sin and judgment. Notice verse 14. He says that one day, that on that day I punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. He's saying that sin and judgment are related. In fact, that's what the New Testament tells us. The wages of sin is death. Be sure your sin will find you out. The Old Testament tells us. God is a holy God, and God must punish sin. Sin. You sin, uh, your sin is in, in one of two places. Your sin is either on yourself, and if it's on yourself, then you're under the righteous wrath of a holy God. 
or if you've received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then your sins have been laid on Jesus Christ. And you'll meet God with your sins either on yourself or on Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we better get our sins on Jesus. Get that right first. That's the beginning of the message of explanation. Here's the second message. It's the message of confrontation. Not about you, I don't like confrontation. But here is Amos who's bringing a message and it's gonna bring some confrontation. It's heavy, uh, heavy duty information here. We're, we're working our way through a tough prophet. He's got courage and in, in, in chapter four, he confronts them with their sins. And so begin to notice here in verse one. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. I'd have a hard time saying what he said. I mean, think about what he says. He gets very specific. He says, you cows of Bashan. Now, we might not think nothing about that. What, is that. what does that mean? Bashan was a part of the country in Israel that was known for its fine breed of cattle. Uh, they were strong, they were, they were uh, healthy, they were sleek. And the feminine word that's used here, and it appears here, that Amos is addressing these wealthy, high-class women of the northern kingdom here. And you can just imagine that Amos gets up here and he speaks and he begins to look at those women. And he says, you're just a bunch of heifers. That's what he's saying. You're a bunch of cows. You're just lounging around and you're saying to your husbands, bring me something to drink. Because that's all you're concerned about is your own pleasures. He's talking about the women of this nation who had brought them, who had brought the nation down to the level of, of animals. They were living on an animal level, so that's why he uses an animal here to describe uh, who they are. Uh, they had become all concerned uh, about their bodies instead of about their souls. Now, uh, the, the, the women of the land set the moral tone of the land. It's the women who basically establish the moral standards of a society. Uh, women are on a pedestal in God's word. Our women are precious. They're, they're precious to the Lord. Uh, they're up there where God wants them to be. And the world is always trying to pull women down in, into the, to the mire and, and muck of sin uh, and, and all of that and, and to bring them down to the level uh, of an animal. And so Amos really gives them a hard time here. He, he goes on down in that chapter and he talks about their luxury. And notice what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. He says, The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Now, Amos didn't win any popularity contest here with what he's saying. Uh, you can be sure of that. He, he didn't get named clergy of the year, but he's talking here about their hypocrisy. 
And you can almost hear the sarcasm that's dripping from his words here. He's saying it's like you've seen animals that have a ring in their nose. And he's saying they're going to grab a hook on that and they're going to pull you out. And they're going to pull you out through the breaches. The breaches are the, are the, the gaps, the tiny gaps in the wall. They're going to pull you fatted calves, you fatted cows out through the breaches in the walls, and they're going to cast you out into harm, and you're going to be cast out from God's family. And so he's standing out in front of the synagogue, and notice what else he says in verse 4. He says, come to Bethel. Bethel's the place they worship in the northern kingdom. He says, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Gilgal was another place they had set up to worship. He says, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. In other words, he's using a sarcastic tone here as he's speaking. Bethel, as we said, was the place of worship. Gilgal, a religious center. He's basically saying, come to church and sin. How absurd that would be. He, you know, can you come to church and sin? Can it be a sin to go to church? Well, we notice here that it can be dangerous to go to church. There's more to going to church than just showing up. And there's more to going to church than just going through the motions. It has to be something that takes place in your heart. And so let me ask you this, for us in our society today, in our world today, in the church today, do you prepare your heart to come to worship? Because when you come into God's house, do you come with a clean heart that you confess your sin before the Lord? You come with a prepared heart to hear a word from the Lord, to hear what God has to say. Whether we like what he has to say to us or not, so often we hear what God's word has to say and we're like, I don't like that part. I'm going to flip the page. It's kind of like when Jesus' day with the Pharisees in his day, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I wonder what God would have to say to the religious in America today. I mean, we're to the point now that there's very little difference between those who profess to know Christ and those who don't know the Lord as their Savior. And Amos hits hard here. Look over to chapter 5. We're just going to skip over real quickly uh, here to chapter 5. In, it's very interesting here. He continues the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You can have all your worship experiences you, you want to have, all your assemblies uh, that you want to have, but he says, I hate those things. Let me give you a paraphrase. The Message Bible says it this way. He says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences, your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and, and image making. I've had all I can take of that noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want, he says? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. That's what he's saying in those verses there in verse 21 and following. And so God says, I hear your music, but it's just a bunch of noise to me. 
So don't be singing to, to get the applause of men. Be sure that you're singing for the applause of the Lord in heaven. Worship is something between you and a holy God. Worship is something that takes place in the heart between you and God. And so Amos is hitting at the hypocrisy of worship. He hits their luxury in these verses. He hits their hypocrisy. And then he hits their stubbornness. Look how stubborn that they were. Look in verse 6. In Amos chapter 4, verse 6, he says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So what is that a picture of? Uh, that analogy there doesn't compute for us. What does he mean, cleanness of teeth in all your cities? If you don't have anything to eat, you don't have dirty teeth. If you don't, if you don't have bread, you don't have anything to eat. He's saying, I've sent a famine. I've sent a famine, and I've sent this series of disasters that's come upon you, and you refused to turn to me. Notice verse 7. Verse 7, he says, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. They had a drought. Notice verse 8. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet... You did not return to me, declares the Lord. Notice verse 9 and verse 10. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me. I sent you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet... You did not return to me. There was disease. People were killed with the sword. He says for the fourth time in verse 11, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord five times over he talks about their stubbornness to repent. They refused. They refused to return to the Lord. And so when I bring that to where we are today, I wonder what it would take for us in America to repent. I mean, think about all the things that happen in our nation, just in our nation, or maybe even if you just brought it down to our state or even our communities, of all those things that are happening around us, of all the ungodly things that are happening around us. If that doesn't wake up America and cause us to come back to God, what in the world is, gonna, is it going to take? I mean, we, we, you think back to 9-11. And people came, but then they left. God says, you have not returned to me. Verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. 
I understand this isn't some evangelistic invitation to the nation of Israel. He's not calling them now to repent. He's saying to them, it's too late. You had your opportunity. Judgment's on the way. Prepare to meet your maker. So what kind of God is it? Notice verse 13. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This verse tells us the kind of God you're going to need to prepare to meet. And so notice, in other words, the God who knows your very thoughts is the God you have to prepare to meet. Be prepared to meet him. Are you ready to meet the Lord your God? If you were to go out into eternity tonight, would you be ready to meet Jesus? So he gives them the message of explanation in chapter 3 and why judgment's coming. Chapter 4, he gives them the message of confrontation. He confronts their luxury, their hypocrisy, their stubbornness. And now notice in chapter 5 and chapter 6, especially chapter 6, his message of lamentation. Notice chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word that I take up over you to lamentation, in lamentation, O house of Israel. Now, that word also doesn't mean much to us in our culture today, but lamentation means a funeral dirge. It means a funeral sermon. It means preaching their funeral. Think about this. How would it feel to hear your funeral sermon? That's exactly what these people uh, right here are about to do. He's preaching their funeral. It's a lamentation. He's not doing this in joy. There is sorrow in the heart of Amos. Somebody says that, man, Amos, he's so hard. He's, he, he's got ice water in his veins. But no, Amos is just a man who's telling the truth, and his heart is broken as he preaches to the people. If you go down to verse 16 and verse 17... It says, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation, and in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. He's basically saying to them, it's all over. Judgment's on the way. I'm preaching your funeral. If God preached your funeral, what would he say? What would he say about you? If God should declare your relationship to him in a funeral message, what would God say? When your funeral time comes, your sermon is already preached. Your life has already been preached. It's too late then. There's not a preacher in this world that can preach you into the gates of heaven when the funeral time comes. When death comes, it's all over. You're either in heaven or you're in hell. And you can get some flowery speaker if you want, and they can tell how wonderful you were and how many good, you de good deeds you did and all of that. But when you die, it's over. It's finished. No funeral sermon is going to do you any good. And so notice verse 18. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. So what's he talking about here? They had the idea, as sometimes we do, the day of the Lord was going to be a wonderful day. 
but they failed to understand also that the day of the Lord was a day of judgment. It's kind of like us as believers. I mean, one of the things we're longing for, if you truly are a Christian, you're longing for Jesus to come back again. You're longing for all sin to be gone and all sickness and sorrow and suffering to be gone. You're longing for Jesus to come back again. We look at what heaven is going to be. We think about all the glory and the splendor of that. But we forget that with that will also come the judgment. Jesus is going to judge from the judgment seat of Christ. And even though we won't be judged for our sins in terms of our salvation experience, the Bible does tell us that we will be examined concerning our deeds done in our body. That's why in 1 John it says that we're not to be ashamed before him at his coming. I have a feeling not every Christian saying that it would be great for the Lord to come is going to be happy when the Lord comes. Because there's a lot of unfinished business in a lot of us. What I'm trying to say to you is this, that when the Lord comes, there's going to be an examination. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, he says, as, a man, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. So get the picture that he's painting here for us. He says, here's a guy, he's out there, he's running from a lion who's going to devour him, who's going to kill him. And he gets away from the lion and he's so relieved, he looks up and here's a bear. He jumps out of the, out of the frying pan into the fire is the way we would maybe say it today. He's so relieved though as he runs away from the bear, uh, he gets away from him as he's chasing him and he gets into the house, he escaped the lion, he escapes the bear, puts his hand on the wall and the serpent bites him. Wow. God's saying that when judgment comes, there's no escape. You cannot get away from God. And, and we're going to learn when, when we get to the book of Jonah and that minor prophet that you can never run from God. You, you, you tell me where God is not. God is everywhere. You can't get away from God. You can run as far away as you want to. You can turn the corner and you'll meet God. There's no escape. And so here's the picture. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. To, to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. Notice their security is not in God. Their security is in where they are. They're on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. He's talking here about their complacency. And what do we see so often in our lives and in our society of our nation is complacency. Uh, you look at verse 4. He says, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Uh, verse 5, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. He's saying, you can pretty it up all you want. You can go out and have all the parties you want and, and live up in the nightclub life and, and eat the finest foods. He says, he's talking about that's the finest of cosmetics there. He's saying, but they're not grieved over the suffering of Joseph. They're saddened because of the moral ruin around them. In the midst of all of that, let me show you what Amos does. You go back to chapter 5 and verse 4. Here's the message of all these three messages. That's the main point. Amos 5, verse 4. 
For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Amos preaches with a weeping heart as he says this. He's saying you're not going to find what you need in religion. You're not going to find what you need in this world and the things of this world. You're going to find it in, in reality as verse 6 goes on to say. He says, seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Verse 8, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, what are those? Those are the stars, the constellations in the heaven, and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness the day in, in, darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. So right in the midst, in the middle of this message of judgment, God has a message of invitation to aim, from Amos to the people of Israel and to us. It is seek the Lord. The answer is in the Lord. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. While he is near. Understand that the problem, uh, the, the solution to our problem and to any problem our nation has, that a church may have, that you may have, is in the Lord. The solution to your sin problem is in Jesus. It says, seek the Lord and you shall live. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without Jesus, there's, there is no life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So God offers you life. And you can live, really live, in the truth of his word. The Bible also says in 1 John 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the first question for us is, do you have Jesus? Do you have eternal life? If you don't, that's where you need to begin. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, are you living in such a way that you're not being a barrier for people coming to Jesus? Are you being a bridge for people to come to Jesus. If you want to have life, you need Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight and for your truth here in the book of Amos. What a powerful, powerful word, a strong word that's sometimes hard for us to hear even as believers. But Lord, we know that you desire to bring each and every one of us, whether we're here or watching online and we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or we do. You're bringing all of us to the very same place of repentance. That first we would repent and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That if we don't know Christ, we would just call out to you, Lord, and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a, I, I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That he was buried in that tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if someone's prayed something like that in their hearts, 
May they come tonight and talk with me or may they give us a comment there online so we can follow up with them about that decision and help them in their walk with you. But Lord, many of us who are here and maybe even some who are watching online are, are already believers. We've already trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're part of the family of God, but maybe we've become complacent in our walk with you. Maybe we haven't been living the way we should. Maybe we've been living like a hypocrite, saying one thing that we love you, but then not living as if we love you. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring us to the place of repentance also. And, Father, we just ask for your will to be done in our hearts and our lives as we come to confess our sins. Lord, we stand upon the truth of your word that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So, Lord, set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead us and guide us each and every step of the day in each and every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here in person. Thank you for being there online. We'll be back uh, this coming Sunday. is a great time of celebration with Resurrection Sunday. I want to encourage you to be here for our sunrise service. 7 o'clock, we'll have breakfast following that. That's free breakfast, so come out for that. And then we'll also have our regular worship service at 1030 Sunday School between that. Uh, so you come out, we'll have a wonderful day of celebration. And just remember, too, no evening service this coming Sunday. You have a safe week and stay you have a blessed week and stay safe we'll see you this coming sunday